If we are to wrest some meaning from John's story of Jesus in the temple, we're first going to have to deal with the things that get said about Jesus' behavior that assume that he's acting at least to some degree in anger. Maybe Jesus was having a temper tantrum, or some people say he was just showing his human side, or others go to great lengths to make clear that this was righteous anger as opposed to the other kind, whatever that may be. And we tend to read him as angry uh, rather than, say, patient and long-suffering. Ambrose Bierce wrote in 1913 something called the Devil's Dictionary. He described patience as despair disguised as virtue. And that's, that's pretty good. Most experts in psychology recognize that anger and depression are frequently two sides of the same coin with each marking the other. It's not complicated to imagine people who have been uh, oppressed by an occupying force with their country invaded to bounce between despair on one hand and violent rage on the other, both born of impotence. It's the kind of feeling that many of us are carrying in the face of the financial turmoil of the day that we read about every day and feel. We know about rage and despair and free-floating anxiety, the kind that makes every bad thing that happens seem so much worse and so much more significant than it might have been true a year, or, a year ago or even six months ago. To the degree that we are carrying these, these feelings of rage and despair, we may well find ourselves reading the story of Jesus in the temple in light of them. And we get into this kind of, yay, you go, Jesus. We start seeing, we start seeing the, the tables overturned and the, the greedy bankers getting what's coming to them. And the, and the, you know, put things to rights, restore my fortunes, take care of the victims and the poor. In your face, you temple authorities, who I never liked anyway. yippee ki or whatever the phrase is. You know. Things are going to be different around here, and there's a new sheriff in town. You see, it's easy to get into those feelings. It sort of feels a little good, doesn't it? It feels a little good to get into that, that expression of rage. And if we read the story that way, we would be dead wrong. We'd be dead wrong, however tempting it is, because this story does have something for us in times of uncertainty. But we have to set aside those feelings just for a moment of of, of, uh, that lead to violence, and we assume righteous rage, revenge, and blaming, and bluster. We also have to set aside the reality of the despair that also rides on the heels when we f of our feeling of impotence. Because at least part of what this story is about is Jesus bringing to an end all the ways in which we dress up those feelings dress up feelings of rage and despair as virtue, especially in relation to power and our powerlessness. All of those realities in our lives are part of what makes for the impulse to make sacrifice or its close cousin to create scapegoats as we seek to manage the tensions and the feelings of being slightly out of control and all that happens when circumstance sets us in some way one against another. See, I don't think this is a cleansing of the temple that we're reading about. I think it's the ending of the temple. When Jesus, everyone who, Jesus, who heard Jesus knew that when a prophet broke a jar or shot an arrow, they weren't just sort of saying it's going to be a bit like this. They were bringing about the reality that they were signifying. 
So when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, he's saying the sacrificial system is no more. And everyone who heard it may not, would have known that he was saying that the temple is coming to an end. No wonder the authorities who thought they were the keepers of all that was good and righteous and holy and were engaged in the management of society and keeping people holy while trying to keep the Romans at bay. They were managing everything and Jesus was coming along and saying, it's over. And they were enraged and they were enraged and threatened to the point of legal violence when they sought to ensure a criminal's death for Jesus. You may recall that it was threats against the temple that played a big part in his trial and, and, and the charges against him in the end. This action of Jesus wasn't so much about purity. It wasn't about cleansing, cleaning up what was otherwise being treated as a bank and a slaughterhouse. And nor, as is sometimes assumed, was it about justice for the poor. Yes, the money changers were probably fleecing people when they converted regular cash into temple coinage. But the poor also bought sacrifices. It was the poor who sacrificed doves and pigeons when they couldn't afford sheep and cattle. The poor's sacrifices are included here. This is about the end of sacrifice. From now on, what you sought in the temple, says Jesus, you will find in relation to me. Your mechanisms aren't going to work anymore. You looked for the assurance of the presence of God in your midst through the institution of the temple. You looked for ways to manage your anxiety and your sin and your fear and all of the things that flow from your sense of impotence through the sacrificial system. Well, from now on, they have no power because they mask violence and the masks are being stripped away and the paucity of that system that includes even capital punishment will be stripped away as, as you see what happens to me, says Jesus. Three days and I will build this temple. When you feel impotent and enraged in the face of circumstance, be it suffering the indignity of an occupied country or suffering the loss of your savings because of some mythical, godlike thing called the market, you will find, says Jesus, what you need only in getting into right relationship with me, with the source of your life, with your creator, with the love that made you for love. All your blaming, all your despair, all your rage dressed up as long-suffering, all your desire to propitiate an angry and capricious God, all of it will be as nothing. And your alternative is to let the question be called, can you trust God? Will you put your whole trust in God's grace and love? Will you let your baptismal promises become a reality in your lives in a new and deepened way? Well, even if we want to say yes, and most of us do, it's easier said than done. We've all been taught in a multitude of ways and from a young age that we get ahead at the expense of others, that life is graded on a curve, that being able to consume is a measure of our worth, and that we can feel some good feelings of togetherness or unity, usually over against or at the expense of some unfortunate other. Jesus' ministry, according to John, began with the sign of new wine and the best wine being saved until the end of the wedding feast. 
And Jesus then immediately goes to Jerusalem in John's account and enters the temple. And this new wine is beginning now. The end with the best wine is upon us. And that good wine that has been kept back is found in ordinary things, in just right relationship. And, and the new wine that has been saved is the wine that is love rather than fear, love rather than death, love rather than sacrifice. I know that as I can accept the reality of God's love for me, then I live with more trust and with less fear. Some days better, some days worse. But nothing helps me remember that as much as gathering around this table with you each week. Not only hearing, but also enacting the story of God's love by which all of our despair and violence is unmasked and the way of absolute integrity opens to us in a foretaste of the richness of life to come. In this time of clear uncertainty, manifest uncertainty, in which the false god of the market has been exposed and the tables of our economic system have been overturned, it is this table that remains upright. And the invitation to live, knowing that we are loved, is the source of real power and real liberating hope and the assurance that our worth is discovered as we learn that we are loved and that what we need has been provided and that however afraid we are and however much we need a job, we still have all that makes for life. And it comes from the source of love, however difficult it is for us to believe that right now. So as always, I invite you to use a brief time of silence for prayer, perhaps asking that you may become particularly aware of God's love for you this day and in the days to come. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray. <laughs> 